Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the world's leading podcast for injectors and cosmetic businesses. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, an aesthetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend David Segal, an entrepreneur and an aesthetic business mentor. Each episode of IA showcases unfiltered conversations with guests from around the world. In a sometimes disjointed industry, IA aims to help educate and connect our global community to raise the bar for both our businesses and our patients. To further support and educate our listeners, we offer a range of additional resources under our IA Patreon subscription service. This caters for injectors and business owners of all levels and includes interactive live Zoom sessions, webinars, hints and tip videos, private chat groups and exciting future content to come. To subscribe to IA Patreon, head to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon or click the link in our podcast description. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. Hey guys, it's a bit of an IA news flash days today, day, day today, extra podcast. Um, so this will only run for probably, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes max. And we're here to talk about some legislative changes that have happened here in Australia, in particular down south uh, with our friends in Tasmania, which is the little, for those that aren't in Australia, it's a little island off the bottom of Australia that looks like it's not part of the country, but it is. <laughs> and they've had some changes to the way in which their cosmetic clinic runs in respect of licensing. And so those changes have come pretty quickly, although there has been discussions around it for the last couple of years. And we just wanted to bring this information to you because if you're not in Australia, you might not know about this. Or even if you are in Australia, you might not have heard about it unless you're in Tasmania. And we're joined by one of our lovely and favorite patrons, Maria Reed from Tasmania. Um, and you've been on the forefront of this for quite a while because your clinic, Eden, was one of the first clinics, I believe, to go through this licensing process. And you've watched this all unfold and, and what sort of happened in the last week or two. And we just wanted to bring this to you with someone that's on the ground and can tell us what's going on. Do you want to add anything to that, Jake? Well, it's kind of taken, I think, quite a lot of people, not quite by surprise. If you're in Tasmania, you've probably heard about this. And I first got wind of this, I think, in 2020. Mm. In fact, we were in the middle of a lockdown. Yep. And then someone on on a WhatsApp group, maybe one of our own, was saying, hey, this thing, this document's out about Tasmania and an expectation to become, I think they called it an accredited facility mm -hmm. or something of that nature. And I was like, oh, okay, seems interesting. And then it kind of got forgotten. Yeah. And then just about a week or two ago, I heard through the grapevine again through our Patreon group that there's a lot of change coming or already yeah. happened. Yeah. So maybe Maria, you can sort of fill us in and maybe just tell the listeners. Yeah. You know, your background and what you do in Tasmania, first of yeah. all. Sure. So I am a registered nurse and I have a very big interest in compliance and business. So I have a master's degree in clinical leadership. So I guess I have a bit of a taste for these things from my background. Um, but back in 2021, uh, the Tasmanian government called for a forum with all cosmetic injectors in the state and during that forum, it was really interesting. It was assumed that most of us were working in bedrooms and home clinics. And it was a bit of a surprise, I think, to them to know that most of us had really well-run, um, purpose-laid um, out and set up clinics. 
Um, during those forums, it went back and forth. There were a number of representatives there, APRA, um, a lot of the big chain clinics sent representatives to be in Tasmania at the forums as well. Um, we had people there from the Nurses and Midwifery Board as well as a lot of independent nurses like myself to have our say and try and find out what was going on. Where it all landed down the track, and this is where we're at today, is that cosmetic injectors who did not have a doctor on site needed to fall into a framework for compliance and safety for our patients. So big problem is that nurses cannot supply or possess scheduled for medications. So that's national. That's in our APRA guidelines as a registered nurse. Right. So you really need to have a doctor own and administer or give permission to administer those medications. If that wasn't how your clinic was set up, which we know that most of the cosmetic injecting clinics around Australia are nurse-led clinics, you needed to have a way in which that made you legal under the Poisons Act for your state to store and possess medications. So for our state, that was going through a process to allow you to have a 25A Poisons Act certificate to allow you to store medications safely underneath the Act. So to get that, you had to then become a licensed facility. So this is where um, things start to get a bit complicated. There's no real framework other than a hospital accreditation licensing and that is what we have gone through as an independent nurse-led clinic here in Tasmania. Can I ask you, Maria, just sort of taking back to that meeting that you attended, mm-hmm. seems like the premise was a little bit different to maybe the reality or, or, or where those, that were, I guess, where the regulator was coming from. You're, you're mm. saying maybe the reality wasn't quite what they thought it was. So who, yeah. in your opinion, is feeding them the information or driving this or, or where um, it's coming from? I just think it's probably been a mystery to a lot of the medical profession over the years as our industry in cosmetic injectables has become bigger on how it actually works. And even to this day, um, having the Poisons Act um, inspectors coming into our clinic, they were actually a bit surprised that we have processes, processes around medication management and safety and safe storage of S4s in our clinic. So we are probably a bit mystical. And so I do think it's because our industry is young and I know people have been injecting cosmetically for years, but as an industry we are young and in such a growth mode that, you know, hand on heart, we can say that we all know that we do a really great job and think about patient safety, but Mm. there are still people popping up that perhaps don't have patient safety at the forefront of their day-to-day practice. And so this is where this is perhaps coming from to look after the public. So how do I put this? Why why did they assume that Tasmania was the centre of Botox parties versus, I don't know, mainland Australia? Seems I don't odd. know. It does seem odd and I've never really got the right answer for that. I would say that we are a small enough state to pilot this type of framework on and once it's firmed up and there is a really good strong process in place in Tasmania that this type of setup and framework licensing management will go national and you know I'm not an authority on that but I would assume 
that if it's good enough for Tasmanian nurses to need to be licensed facilities, that it would be something that nationally insurance companies, scripting companies, um, the pharmaceutical companies that supply are likely to want to only deal with those people who are working from a licensed facility. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So when did you first get notified this? I know in some of the text messages that we've had, Maria, we were talking, was it 2021? Correct. So at that point in time, every clinic was notified by the Tasmanian Department of Health Yes. That they needed to go through this process to become licensed. It remains voluntary. So contacted to ask if you wanted to participate because you might decide that you want a doctor in your clinic if you're going to continue to store your scheduled medications that way. But it was more highlighting that this is what your obligations are under APRA and if you wish to go down the pathway of remaining a nurse clinic only, you need to select a path- pathway to make that compliant with the Poisons Act in right. our state. And when you say doctor on site, does that mean a doctor there for every minute of the day that the business is operating and injecting patients? Or is that a doctor there for a certain That's period of time? my understanding that right. the, you'd need a doctor to be your director of care in your clinic and they would be buying and supplying and scripting all the medication. Right. See, I find that strange, even though that's probably what they've said, because even me as a junior doctor, I've looked after the whole hospital at night without a senior on board. And yet we're talking about non-surgical, quite low-risk treatments. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a bizarre thing. I can't think of another situation where that's a mandatory thing. Mm. Yeah, it's actually really interesting and even recently with the draft guidelines that APRA have released there's actually nothing for doctors in our industry to govern them it's mainly focused around the nursing and delegation of care and um, practice Mm. for nurses so yeah it's very interesting so I guess if anybody is interested in finding out about what the license framework is um, each facility that is nurse-led in Tasmania Need, has the option, which we have gone down the option of remaining a nurse-led clinic. So we have licensed our clinic under the Health Establishment Act, which is an Act 2006, and it's a national um, establishment act. So people can have a look at that. That is what all hospitals and day procedure clinics across Australia are licensed to in that framework. Um, that encompasses everything from governance, patient um, or partnering with the consumer or the patient. So that's like your consent forms, protocols, aftercare, complaints process, right through to your quality of your facility, infection control, um, fire safety, managing a deteriorating patient, medication management and supply. Mm. The big one. (laughs) And how how difficult was the process for you? And, And did you need to build your clinics in a certain way physically to be compliant or have so, um, we've, yeah. we've been lucky in that both our clinics actually comply from a building safety standard. So initially they wanted our buildings to all be a 9A under the Australian yep. Building um, Act, but that was downgraded pretty quickly to a 5A because we are not putting patients under a general anaesthetic and they remain ambulatory during their care, their time in our care. Mm-hmm. So that was really good. 
the main requirement is that we've been we must be able to get an ambulance stretcher in and out of all our doorways and bathroom facilities. So um, I can tell you that a stretcher is 55 centimetres wide <laughs> um, and needs to have turning space. So we met those requirements. So it's things like having your doors swinging the opposite way um, in bathrooms and um, that kind of basic yep. general public access right. um, requirements. And, and what about sort of, you know, do you have the defrib there, like any sort of re- particular resource equipment that you might need? We don't require to have a defib, but we do have to have medication on site for um, basic emergencies. So that's our adrenaline, um, aspirin, ventolin, um, Hylex in our case because we do dermal filler, um, as well as policies around that. And we must have paperwork available to us to monitor your patients. So um, OBS forms as well as basic OBS equipment, so your blood pressure, pulse oximeter, temperature, um, and we've also had to develop an inter-hospital or inter-facility transfer for any patient that would be transferred by our ambulance to a facility for treatment. So is there like a published framework that there must be somewhere and there's basically a list of stuff that you have to follow? So anyone listening that, that they could potentially go and look at all this stuff? Yeah. So if I was in another state, I would be looking to see if your state has a regulation licensing and accreditation unit under your Department of Health, which they would have, they might call them something different, but any of those names, so regulation, licensing or accreditation, um, they would certainly have um, a module booklet or framework that they could give anybody to start working towards their policy requirements if they wanted to create a licensed day procedure or medical facility. Mm-hmm. So this would be if you wanted to open a private hospital, an eye surgery, um, somewhere that does plastics, um, small procedures, you could actually license a facility. So there would be a framework available from your local, from your um, state and territory government. Because I guess people listening, they might say, wow, that, that actually sounds really good. I'd like to do this properly, but. I don't know when it's going to become law or, or enforced. Yeah. And I obviously don't want to change all my doors if I don't have to. So sure. what, what, yeah. what would you recommend to people? Like, Where do they start? Um, look, I have to say, look, I know I do love policy and procedure, but it's actually not a bad thing having a lot of what we have had to put in writing and to consider as part of our day-to-day practice. It's not unreasonable to have to have a medication management policy that outlines your cold chain storage and um, who has access to your drug cupboards. I know a lot of us are single sole operators, so it's, you feel a bit silly. You're talking about policies that apply to you um, and you only, but think of it a bit bigger scale and maybe having even one other operator. Um, but where I would start I would be looking at making sure I had all my consents really well up to date, my general protocols for each treatment that I did up to date, including things like hand hygiene and your non-touch technique protocols. Have you got an infection control policy for your clinic? Because even if it's just you, you should still have that. Um, Things like if a patient was to deteriorate when they're in your clinic or have an adverse event, what are your steps that you take? Have you got flow charts for those things to help you through that situation? 
And if you look at it not just from a licensing point of view, if that's not what's happening in your state at the moment, let's think of this as how do we make our industry really stand on its own and look professional and hand on heart if something happened to your patient, if you were in the court of law, what would you say your processes were or your documented policy around that procedure, situation or management? Um, I don't think anymore you can turn up and just be an injector and be a really great injector if you like. You need to have all that medico-legal stuff in the back of your mind, how things are documented and what you do to follow those in the event of something going not to plan. Yeah. Um, I understand obviously things like, you know, deteriorating patient uh, policy or or whatever, things that, you know, in the heat of the moment, you actually do want that flow chart. So you can be like, oh, okay, this is what I need to do panicking. But for things like, I don't know, uh, doing a dermal filler procedure on a patient, Mm -hmm. is there like a physical procedure thing, like a flow chart that you have to follow or how does that work in practice? So if, put it this way, if somebody asked you, show me evidence that you um, routinely wash your hands between patients or between steps when you're setting up your dressing tray and putting your cannula on, you can always say, yeah, sure, I always do that. Um, If you've got a policy in place that you've signed off that you've agreed to work against, you're going to be a lot better placed in the situation of a patient having infection in the dermal filler or something nasty. But if you had a policy in place that really made you think about how you do things, it can't be a bad thing. So outlining that you're checking the patient's name and date of birth before treatment and selecting your drug of choice, Um, that you use aseptic non-touch technique and you perform hand hygiene before opening a dressing tray. Um, It actually is probably a really good process for all of us to go through especially if we've been doing this a really long time and we've just grown into our role as we've evolved. Uh, Have we ever sat down and written it down? Yeah. And also to think about it, not from just a regulatory perspective, but from a medico-legal perspective in terms of if a lawyer was acting for a patient that would just use the example of the infection, Maria, and you've Mm. got someone like, you know, Jahan, who we've had on plenty of times before, who's, you know, a bulldog with this kind of stuff. He's going to look for any weakness in your system to sort of put the blame on you. Um, yeah. That's not saying anything nasty about him, but that's his job, right? No. To, to, to protect Yeah, and just because it's written yeah. down, it doesn't make you necessarily a safer practitioner or prove that you have done it any better. But it's 2023 and we are a professional cohort that pride ourselves on continued learning and improvement and patient safety and outcomes. Yeah. It's probably a great time now to start thinking of your solo injecting career as a little bit deeper than that and thinking about having processes in place if you needed them for a licensing or a framework of some sort that maybe um, overlay our whole industry across the country. Yeah, you know, stacking the deck in your favour, I guess. Would yeah, be. I mean, you've ran multiple yeah. clinics with 80 staff at one point. Yeah. So you obviously had your own internal yeah. franchise policies, et yeah. cetera. So I guess it's no different. It's just a it's sort of a more no, well, this, nationally agreed one. This is going much deeper. I mean, these were sort of business policies, procedures, and and you know some of the things Maria was alluding to, but certainly not to what the level of detail that looks like it's going to be required now. So I guess mm-hmm. in terms of how much time it took you, like for a clinic that was looking to do this, like what sort of mm-hmm. time frame would they need to to 
be expecting to create these documents and to, and yeah. to get this license? Um, look, I always said if I didn't have two small children, two clinics and a patient load, I probably could have knocked it off in six months. Oh, wow. But um, it took me two years of burning the night candle and sitting writing policies. Um, I know some people might want to know how I knew the policies were enough or written to the level that was needed. Um, I would strongly encourage people to be early adapters in wanting to do um, this type of work with their clinic in their state because that worked in my favour that the Department of Regulation were able to offer me regular catch-ups and I was able to submit them policies to review and give me feedback on throughout that time, um, which was invaluable and it meant that when I had everything ready for submission, it was really a tick and flick on their behalf and I didn't get back policies, a heap of policies to have to rewrite or add more information to um, all at one time. So be nice to the regulators. (laughs) (laughs) Um, they're doing their job for patient safety and one day we will all be a patient too so remember that Um, if you weren't injecting would you be safe to go to you and your clinic that's how I've taken that approach if if I was a patient in my clinic I'd be really happy I know I was in good hands Um, so be nice to the regulators work with them ask for help seek feedback Certainly don't underestimate the level of detail and evidence that you would need. Think like an auditor or a cross-examining lawyer mm-hmm. um, is probably my best advice for you. So was there something that you could download like a template and then tweak it to be bespoke for you? Or were you sat there in front of a blank Word document <laughs> writing to um, I was sat there in front of a Word document <laughs> for every policy. So the Tasmanian government were... Um, good enough to provide us with modules um, to work through and the three modules were under the Health Establishment Act framework of what we would roughly need um, to cover in those modules and what evidence and forms we would want to do in our clinic to capture that in the event of our accreditation audit. So um, just checking that you've got key registers. So who's got access to the key cupboard? When did they get the PIN code for the the key safe? all those type of things. It was right down to that granular level of detail and they have helped me review that and make sure I was across it. A lot of it's it's been all my own work though, all my own policies. Wow. Might be getting a few messages and people getting you to help them, Ria. Yeah. (laughs) We've got to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, we we have a plan. (laughs) We've got a plan for that. Yeah. so what's so what's been the upshot? I know you've got to go pick up your kids from 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 school soon, so I won't keep you too much Thank longer. You. But um, what's been the upshot of what's happened? So the Department of Health come in and written to a whole heap of people saying, um, "Sorry, if you don't have a doctor, you have to close or stop doing injectables within your business by a certain date." And do you know roughly how many people have been affected or how many clinics have been affected by this? I guess it's been more along the lines of as a registered nurse signing your up for registration each year you have had to make the decision if you run the gauntlet of supplying, possessing and administering medications that is outside of your scope. So you could just continue on your merry way until you have a poisons inspector attend your clinic and ask you why have you got these medications and who is responsible for them. (laughs) Some people have continued down that pathway in Tasmania. There is a number of us who 
I have done the licensing process now or are in the process of doing the licensing and I guess that just means from a legal point of view, if somebody was to come at us um, with an adverse outcome from a treatment, our insurers cannot wriggle their way out of this by saying you're a nurse not working in a licensed facility, storing scheduled med- medications without a correct permit to do so um, and so on. So it's really an option that people have that are strongly encouraged to do to uphold the legislation. Um, and it remains a voluntary process still in Tasmania to this day. Some scripting companies have decided not to support unlicensed facilities that nurses are working in because their insurance also does not cover their scripting doctors and the suppliers are unable to supply to nurses in an unlicensed facility. So I guess it's like an oxygen tank. (laughs) It was slowly getting lower and lower. And options were getting narrower and narrower for nurse-led clinics yep. to operate legally. Well, I mean, and insured. <laughs> that's the thing. I mean, it might not be. If you don't have a poisons inspector in your clinic, you might be able to get away with it. But the reality is, if something goes wrong, you're in, you can bet all the money in the world that your insurance company will find a way not to cover you because oh, that's sure. that's just how it works. So yeah, it's basically working. in effect. It, it it's it's happened really because yeah. all out of, of something going wrong and you're not having insurance or yeah. being disciplined by a, a poisons inspector. Yeah, and, and I guess um, you know, it's not anything to be scared of, but at the moment the framework that Tasmania have been um, placed under is perhaps a little bit um, too in-depth for what we actually do in our clinics. We are considered low risk, but risk so level C, low-risk health establishment, um, and I really hope that from what we've been able to do and demonstrate our level of safety here in Tasmania will help a better national framework and maybe perhaps the development of a framework that is applicable to non-invasive cosmetic injecting that is low-risk and nurse-run clinics. Yeah. Um, but for now, we've done the hard slog under the National Health Establishment Act and regulated accreditation under the National Health and Safety Quality Standards, which is what a hospital or a day procedure clinic is regulated to. I know you're sort of quite supportive of the process because I know how detail-orientated yes. you are, Maria, and it's great. Mm-hmm. But do you think that this really serves the, the public and the patients or does this serve to basically reinfect no. injecting? It, 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 there's two sides to this, right? There is, there's totally two sides to every story, I guess. Um, for me, as an operator that takes this really seriously, I feel very humbled that my patients are coming somewhere that's safe and I'm doing the best I can for them, including their outcomes. I have to demonstrate my continuous learning, so I'm giving them great um, actually injecting outcomes as well. Yeah. Um Whereas there are still people that are travelling around with eskies and Botox rolling around the back of their car um, who probably pay more but get paid more than me. Um, They've got less overheads and all of those other things. So it perhaps narrows down the field. If you're going to survive and do it right, um, it's going to be, I don't think, more lucrative um, at all, but I think it's got a much longer journey in our Mm. industry to do it this way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that kind of covers it really. I mean, um, there isn't too much more to say other than that. We've got l- regulatory changes on foot everywhere. Um, yeah. I think anyone listening to this probably needs to pay attention and start thinking about 
if they want to go down this path and is this something that's eventually going to become the inevitable reality of our clinics in Australia moving forward. Um, and we'll keep a close eye on it. But um, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're busy and you've got to pick up kids from school and I sort of okay. I kind of roped you in at the last minute. So we just wanted someone who's, because Jake and I wouldn't have no idea how to explain what you've just explained. So thank you very I much. I hope it just makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, hold on, there's lots of people listening going, hold on, what, what about the plan? <laughs> what is the plan? I thought we were going to potentially work with a guru like Maria to make this a little bit easier. <laughs> well, maybe. Well, yeah. I tell you, those late nights sitting up writing policy, they might pay off one day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, watch this space. Yeah. And particularly if you're one of our patrons, you will find out first if there is movement in that way. Yeah. We'll leave it at that. Little teaser there for uh, you. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me and thank, thank you, you for letting me shed some light on the mystery that's been happening here in Tassie. And I hope it helps people get their computers fired up and think about their safety protocols for their clinic and their patients. Thanks, Maria. Awesome. I've learned a lot as well, to be honest. So, yeah, yeah looking always. forward to change. <laughs> Thanks, Maria. See you later. For our latest news, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. If you want to get in touch with myself or David, follow us on Instagram as well at Dr. Jake Sloan and David underscore Inside Aesthetics. Join our IA Patreon platform for invaluable business and injectable education. Get access to our global community of like-minded professionals, live and interactive Zoom sessions, hints and tip videos, webinars, and more. Head over to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon for more information.